Burroughs Furniture is built for the way you live. From ensuring easy assembly and disassembly to honoring highly requested new colors for their award-winning seating, they always have their customers in mind. Their modular seating is made out of durable materials to last and grow with you. And with Burrow, you always get fast, free shipping. Get up to 60% off during Burrow's Memorial Day sale at burrow.com slash ACAST. That's burrow.com slash ACAST. Burrow.com slash ACAST. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. Recently, I asked Mint Mobile's legal team if big wireless companies are allowed to raise prices due to inflation. They said yes. And then when I asked if raising prices technically violates those onerous two-year contracts, they said, what the f*** are you talking about, you insane Hollywood ass. So to recap, we're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows full terms at mintmobile.com. Story time. Imagine the softest sheets you've ever felt. Now imagine them getting even softer over time. That's what you'll feel with Bowling Branch's organic cotton sheets. In a recent customer survey, 96% replied that Bowling Branch sheets get softer with every wash. Start getting your best night's sleep in these sheets that get softer and softer for years to come. Try their sheets with a 30-night guarantee. Plus, get 15% off your first order at BowlingBranch.com. Code BUTTERY. Exclusions apply. See site for details. Ryan Reynolds here from Mint Mobile. With the price of just about everything going up during inflation, we thought we'd bring our prices down. So to help us, we brought in a reverse auctioneer, which is apparently a thing. Mint Mobile Unlimited Premium Wireless. Ready to get 30, 30, ready to get 30, ready to get 20, 20, 20, ready to get 20, 20, ready to get 15, 15, 15, 15, just 15 bucks a month. So give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows full terms at mintmobile.com. Millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom, like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, right? For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com people today. This story may sound crazy, but hey, being overseas can do that to your brain. This is something I saw, and I can confirm it's true. You can do with my account whatever you want. So I never thought I would find myself in such a dire situation, but it happened. Over 10 years ago, I was part of a Navy SEAL, a special forces stranded behind enemy lines during a covert mission in Benghazi. I knew that my training and resilience would be put to the ultimate test as I fought to survive against all odds. I had always been an occasional basketball player, finding solace in the court during my downtime. 
Back to the story, so our team was on a routine patrol when we were suddenly ambushed by enemy forces. We took cover, returning fire and desperately seeking an escape route. In the chaos of battle, my eyes caught something peculiar in the distance. Amidst the dust and sand, there stood a creature unlike anything I had ever seen before. It had the silhouette of a werewolf, but its entire form seemed to be composed of sand, swirling and shifting with the wind. Two menacing horns adorned its head, and its eyes glowed with an otherworldly intensity. I couldn't believe what I was witnessing, and for a brief moment, time seemed to stand still. But in the midst of the fight, I knew I had to focus on defending my team. We were outnumbered and outgunned, but I refused to let fear consume me. With every ounce of strength and determination, I fought back. To make this account short, we managed to hold our ground, but the cost was high. One of our brothers, Jack, good man had fallen, leaving a void in our tight-knit unit. As the dust settled and the enemy forces retreated, we felt a relief. This ambush was unsuccessful. We had survived. But the weight of loss hung heavy in the air, overshadowing the survival we had achieved. Now to the cryptid, I couldn't shake the image of the creature I had seen, the sand-filled werewolf with horns. I still wonder was it a mere hallucination, a trick played by the mind under extreme stress? Or was there something more lurking in the shadows of this desert? Please tell me I didn't lost my mind. was spending a summer with my grandmother, who lives in southern coastal Oregon. We were taking a walk through one of the many, many little hiking trails peppered about the state, and it was beautiful. The woods were gorgeous, the trees were huge, and the ambient noise was soothing. Then, suddenly, it just stopped. The birds stopped chirping, the insects stopped buzzing and whirring, the breeze stood dead in the woods, the trees and ferns no longer rustled, it was absolute stillness, like a tableau frozen in a moment. I was spooked solid. I felt really uneasy, and a pit was rapidly forming in my stomach. I tensed up, as if by instinct, because it felt like something was near, something with the presence and gravitas to make the whole forest silent. Then it passed, whatever it was, and the sounds of nature started up again. To this day, Neither I nor my grandmother know what happened. I was doing a day hike with my girlfriend in a national park in Canada. About six hours up, three hours down, so we were pretty tired and trying to make time before the sun set on the mountains. As we are descending the mountain, I spot three men coming up the trail, still very far off, and something just felt. Off, I can't tell you why I had the initial feeling. After thinking about it, we had started up the mountain a little later than we had planned, and there was no one parked at the trailhead, so we absolutely didn't expect people coming up after us, especially since most of the trail is in dense tree cover until you get about 4 hours up, so there is no point unless you are doing the whole trail. Trying not to freak her out, we stop and I try and get a better view up above us on a little ridge. I see them as they walk through a little clearing in the path and I notice none of them have packs on, and all three are carrying what I thought might have been rifles, but no packs for sure. Jeans, windbreakers or sweaters, 
and the fact that we were in the very middle of one of the most highly patrolled and enforced national parks in Canada means these guys were not hunting, and again, I couldn't really tell what they were holding, but I just had a bad, bad feeling. I told my girlfriend I didn't want to meet these guys on the trail as I had a bad feeling and we pulled a Frodo under a tree stump like 30 feet off the trail. We waited for like 30 minutes-ish and hear them come up the trail almost on top of us. They were speaking lower, and I didn't really want to go for a closer look at them, but it sounded like they were arguing as we only caught a couple raised words. As they were passing almost the spot we left the trail, they suddenly stopped on the trail, and went quiet for a couple seconds. I held my breath, squeezing her hand. A few seconds passed more, and I can feel my muscles tense. I had my 4-inch blade trail knife and a leatherman, but even if the things they were carrying were just sticks I couldn't fight them if they saw us, I'm 6 foot and 160 pounds, I'm not much of a fighter. Suddenly they started arguing for a while longer and headed back down the trail. We waited 10 more minutes and headed down the trail after them, going cautiously. At this point we were both pretty significantly freaked out. When we neared the trailhead I stopped her and headed out around the side of the parking lot, and saw the three guys more clearly. They had a big old red truck, and absolutely had rifles. They waited around in the parking lot, taking turns peeking in my car, looking up the trailhead, and after 45 minutes of waiting them out, the sun came down they piled in and took off. I didn't get a license plate off the truck because it was facing the wrong way, but I stopped at the ranger station on the way out of the mountains and let them know, but never heard back. I have no idea what might have happened if I didn't stop, we pass plenty of people on most of the hikes we do, but seriously that was just too spooky for me. My uncle was with the Canadian Fisheries as an inspector and recently retired. He told me the story of being in one of the Coast Guard ships and he was to board a Chinese or Japanese ship, don't remember which, was fishing close to the international water. They often do this so that if they have to hightail it because of something illegal, they can escape. As they were getting there, they noticed the ship being lifted from the water slightly and tilted to the side before settling back in the water and rocking hard from side to side, as if something huge rocked them. They thought it was a whale but the Asian ship wasn't exactly small and whales don't do that anyway. The best they could make out from the broken English, they thought they saw a submarine rise underneath them only to go back down super quickly. Turns out it wasn't a US submarine either. Could have been Russian. I had been working as a forest ranger for almost five years. A ranger's day could consist of anything from collecting firewood to tracking down missing hikers. And my day began like most. I would wake up early, walking into work and grabbing my binoculars. As I was about to drive out of the forest, I got a call. That day, I was given a new assignment. I met up with another colleague, a fellow ranger, and we went to the center of this area where somebody had been reporting hearing strange screaming coming from around a cave system nearby. My partner and I decided that I would be able to handle it by myself. He had other things to do, and this was just another run-of-the-mill investigation for me. After he left, 
I headed towards that area where there had been several unreported mounds to this cave system. Now, let me give you some information. This cave system runs pretty deep, and there are guided tours. But I also know that this cave system is very expansive and also having a lot of unidentified entrances and holes that can lean deeper into the system. These are also off trail, so myself, I've never actually experienced finding more of these, although I know hikers have reported finding many and even leaving makeshift markers to let other hikers know this was an entrance. The parts of the ground here were also dangerous, meaning if you step on the wrong part, the ground below you could collapse, falling into a tunnel. So, I had to be very careful about how I approached this entire search. The good news is I wasn't hearing any screaming, so that could be good or bad news. The bad news meaning the hiker, whoever was stuck there, could have been deceased or what. But the good news being that maybe the hiker had gotten themselves out. Anyway, my heart was pounding just by the sheer adrenaline of it. I didn't know why, but something told me to run. It was this feeling in the pit of my gut. As soon as I got there, right around the cavern system, the wind picked up, and everything seemed colder than it already was. A gust. Now, I could have begun my investigation in the main entrance, but as I was planning, I heard the scream. It sounded like a person, but they were maybe a couple hundred feet away, north. So, I marched through the trees, looking, following the source of the screaming, yelling out, can you hear me? Can you respond? And the screaming ceased. I followed along the rock wall and found this crude hole in the ground, maybe no larger than five feet. It was right by a rotted tree stump with only one branch on it. This, I knew, probably went down into one of the cave systems. This, by the way, was probably no more than 200 feet away from the main entrance. After crouching down, I was able to slide down at a 45 degree angle into this cave system, landing in a small chamber that I think connected to the others. I always carry a flashlight with me, so I took it out and turned it on. As soon as I did that, the caves plunged into darkness as my battery instantly died. That's when I heard a loud crash. I turned around, or I should say turned to meet the noise, and my flashlight popped back on. There, like out of some sort of sick Stephen King novel, was this grotesque figure. Large black eyes covering its entire body, stretching its arms out and moving toward me. And terrified, I wanted to turn and run, but didn't have time as there was another one of these beings coming from the opposite side of the cave, approaching. I turned as fast as I could and fled up the 45 degree incline about the cave. Just as I was turning to climb up, I could hear a third one approaching from directly behind me. Now, I had one coming from my left, my right, and behind me. This one, as I turned and looked, was larger than the other two. Completely terrified out of my mind, and the sounds of screaming were now apparent, coming deeper in the cavern. I don't know if it was an injured hiker or if these things were making the noise, luring anybody into this tiny crevice, this chamber into the earth. Like I said, the opening to this cavern wasn't large, but I never in a million years would have expected to find things like this. This was horror movie status. I didn't tell anybody else about what I found and kept it to myself. After climbing out of that hole, I ran and I ran and I ran some more, 
Getting back to the station later on. I didn't say a word, and I knew the other rangers wouldn't believe me. And what would I tell them? That I found a cave full of half arachnids, half creatures? I mean, they'd probably think I was crazy. Now, I've kept this sacred for a while, but how long can I keep it from the rest of the world? Will my story ever be told to other people, or should I just stay quiet about what had happened? Let me just apologize and say I'm sorry for the formatting of the story. I'm a terrible writer and I am not a storyteller, so I apologize in advance. But these creatures that I saw were unlike anything I've ever seen. They really reminded me if you crossed a tarantula with a human. I mean, these were gross. They made this hissing, clicking noise too. I know it sounds phony through email, but it's really hard for me to convey emotion properly, at least through written communication. With all the information coming out anymore about missing hikers and seeing strange figures and shapes in the woods, and all the other bizarre happenings of 2020, I figured, hey, maybe now is an okay time to be open about my experiences and hopefully not experience backlash. Folks, I know this might be hard to believe, but it's what I've gone through. I had just finished up with a traffic stop one night where all I found was an expired registration on a car, which did not match the plates. So, I let them off without warning, went back to my cruiser to call dispatch before returning to patrol. This being said, I should have been able to see everything in front of me as clear as day, even though it was winter time and where all the trees had lost their leaves, so visibility shouldn't have been too much of an issue. My headlights illuminated almost anything within 100 yards or so, but sometimes things can hide in the shadows of those yards. I noticed something out of my peripheral vision. This is right as I was on the phone with dispatch, so I immediately cut off dispatch and began slowly driving towards where I saw whatever it was, thinking it was a person up to no good. But then I saw that it moved slowly and had a long fluid stride. Despite having no leaves, it seemed to blend in with the surroundings enough that you could just barely make out what it looked like when I saw a large head, two long ears, and horns. Dark deep eye sockets that appeared almost hollow, taken up by most of my headlights illumination. By this point, I felt like Alice chasing after whatever Alice chased after into Wonderland, except without all the trippiness and trying to find an exit. Except this time, it was the one chasing after me. I sped up a bit and tried to keep it in sight, but as I got closer, it suddenly crouched down, and I lost sight of it. The more I go into detail about this experience, the deeper things get. Just know that there is no car for it to have gotten into or jump over any fence, so where did it go, whatever it was. But as soon as you stop asking questions is when they get answered. So, I slowly circled around the same 100 yards again, searching for anything unusual with my high beams on, on full illumination. It must have been hiding from me somehow. There was nothing except a few stray cats starting behind some trash cans on the other side of the street. I jumped some bushes and parked cars, still nothing. So, I start to just go back on duty, probably looking like a crazy officer driving around aimlessly for no reason. But that's what we do sometimes in this job, you just never know when something is going to pop out, so better be safe than sorry. 
I'm about halfway down the block towards my car when suddenly, up ahead of me, which is now being obstructed by tall grass, I see it again. It had been crouched down again, but its head was now tilted upward at an angle directly towards me, and its mouth was wide open. There were no teeth visible that I could recall, and it did not appear to be making any sounds. It would only remain in that position for a few seconds, then it would slowly move from side to side before standing back up on its two legs. It was at least 10 yards away from me, so I did the sensible thing, which was to get back into my car, lock the doors. But it just stood there, looking at me for a few seconds, until going back behind some other parked cars, trying to keep out of sight. I don't know what it wanted with me, but if you have watched any cop show or horror movie ever, you probably could have guessed what happened next. I got out of my vehicle, drew my firearm. I'm smart enough to realize that shooting them never works anyway, but as I was about to approach the spot where it had been standing, it suddenly appeared in front of me, stopped and stared at me. And dang it, this thing was fast. It did not make any noise, but its wide open gaping mouth, which now I can see contained what looked like rows of jagged teeth glistening with drool. Then it runs away from me again. I followed right behind it. At this point, I just really wanted to know what this thing was. So, forget being scared. I probably should have just gone back into my car for that hour or two remaining of my shift. But there's a reason why they call that being stupid anyway. So, I'm chasing after whatever it was, and I'm running pretty fast, but not jumping over anything. This thing was fast, like Usain Bolt fast. It did not even run in a straight line. When it ran away from me, it would just kind of weave in and out of any obstacle in front of it, which consistently mostly apart cars or trash at the time. But when you move so much while trying to evade capture, eventually you're gonna fall down. Your legs can only take you so far before they get tired. That's what I think happened in this thing. It seemed to collapse on something that was invisible in my headlights and then pulls itself back up, which I'm not sure if it tripped or why it collapsed. Maybe it was feigning death. I don't know. But as soon as it pulled itself back up, it runs into a nearby backyard, which made sense. I mean, all the streets have been blocked off at this point. So, I'm going chasing after it to the same gate that is still wide open in the fence. And to my horror, I see another similar creature on my left, staring right at me like an idiot while not making any noise. It, too, was crouched down like something out of a prehistoric paleozoo exhibit. Its mouth agape, but I couldn't see any teeth. I couldn't help but notice that this one had very large eyes, much larger than the other one, almost like a child or a baby compared to an adult. And then another creature just took off running while I was still trying to figure out if this creature was real or not, or was I simply running after a nightmare. And then a smaller one jumps right in front of me. Out of reaction, I shoot this one point blank in the chest several times, which my gun did not even seem to phase it. It kept on running towards me, and I panicked at this point. Despite my training, I'm now thinking that this is some kind of demon. I did not even bother shooting at it again. The first few shots seemed to have no effect. So, instead of wasting bullets, I pulled out my taser and tased whatever it was, expecting it to fall over. 
But it did not even react. The taser did nothing. Unsure of what to do at this point, I do the only thing I know I can do, run. This creature and the other two gave chase, following quickly behind each other. I made it back to my cruiser and flew out of there. And since this night, I have never seen or dealt with such a creature. But I believe that this was something that had come from deep in the pits of hell. And I know these things are very real. I've thought about this incident nearly every day for the past 20 years and still don't know exactly what happened. I believe I experienced a rip in the space-time continuum or some other less cliché version of that. All I know is that one moment the sky was blue and the next second it was night. We were staying at my grandmother's house in rural Lancaster County, Pennsylvania during the summer. When I was a kid I loved going to my grandma's because it was so different from my life in Philadelphia. So, we'd been there for over a week at this point. I just needed to get out of the house. There was a small creek that divided the woods from the property and there was a thick tree branch that stretched across the brook so I could use that to hop over the water and then also use some big rocks as additional stepping stones. I got over the stream and into the woods. I just meandered about. Many years previous, my brother and I had built a tree house so I decided I would go and try to find it to see if it was still standing. I walked about 5 minutes into the woods and reached the large oak that once held our makeshift treehouse. Not surprisingly, it was a total wreck and I decided that I'd be foolish to climb up there. So, instead, I just started to turn around and walk back to the house. When I reached the creek, this time there was this faint white glow coming from the water. I thought it was weird looking back on it but just figured that it was probably the angle of the sun or something. I mean the water looked normal except for the edges and the ripples almost shined and sparkled in the light. It's sort of hard to explain. Also, the stream was moving more quickly than usual but not flooding or anything, so I had no clue why something like this would be happening. I just started to hop my way over the rocks and onto the branch bridge but when my foot touched the far bank I felt a flash of light overtake my vision and I fell flat on the ground. When I opened my eyes again I thought I'd gone blind. I honestly wondered if I had hurt my eyes somehow. The world had fallen into complete darkness even though it couldn't have been even half past two in the afternoon. I managed to get myself back on my feet and made my way back to the house. Luckily I knew the property well and I made it there without incident. I flung open the door and there stood my mother and my grandmother in the kitchen. The looks on their faces were frightening. I'd never seen them with such serious expressions. My grandmother was on the phone with the police and my brother was sitting quietly on the couch. His head spun as soon as I opened the door I could tell by looking at everybody's faces that they had all been crying. Their cheeks were streaked and their eyes were red. My mom then asked me where I had been and said I knew I wasn't allowed to be gone that long. Apparently, I'd been gone for hours. I watched as her face moved between anger and being relieved to see me alive. I couldn't understand it at first because I'd only just walked five minutes into the woods. But they said they had searched and called my name and went down to the creek. But they never saw any signs of me. Nothing. I still don't know what happened but I do believe that I somehow was caught in a time warp. 
there's no other explanation that's reasonable for what happened except for something supernatural. I couldn't have fallen or gotten lost because my family searched the area. They would have seen me. I didn't go far. They would have literally had to step over my body if they were in the area of that creek. It's just impossible that I was near where they were looking and not in some otherworldly place. Still, none of them believed me and my mom was always very adamant that I do not share my story with teachers and friends. Since then, I realized that I wasn't alone in this experience after watching various videos and reading other accounts. But I'm still looking for answers. I can't easily go back there to check it out because my grandmother ended up passing away a few years ago and after that, my family sold the property. I am eventually going to contact them and see if I can go back and find answers. When I was a little kid, my mom was out of town and I was with my dad at our house. Our house was on a remote Indian reserve in Canada, and about three miles away was my grandparents' house. Our houses were separated by three large wheat fields, surrounded by forest. I don't know why, but my dad got me ready at night time and we started walking on the gravel road to my grandparents' house. My mom had the vehicle with her. I was under the age of five, and pretty small girl. I remember it was a clear autumn night, the wheat fields were a few weeks from being harvested and there was a bright full moon. There wasn't a single vehicle running in miles. We started hearing something following us. It was in the ditch in the tall grass, and in the wheat field. My dad held my hand, as he grabbed some stones off the gravel road. He started hurling rocks into the ditch, it would run off and then start following us again. He grabbed more stones and put them in his pocket, then put me on his shoulders. I remember holding onto his forehead when I was sitting on his shoulders, and it was all sweaty. I wasn't scared, I was getting excited every time I spotted that thing. I could see a lot better from way up, and I could see the thing's back or shoulders moving through the grass. I'd point it out to my dad, and then he'd throw more stones at it, it kept on coming back. To make matters creepier, we took a short cut that was along the forest line on a thin dirt road. My dad started whistling loudly for my grandparents' German shepherd, Boss. The house was still far away, but we could hear Boss barking and moving towards us. Whatever that was following us was still following us. That dog was such a welcoming sight to see, sniffed around both of us for a moment, then dashed off into the field barking like mad. We got to my grandparents' house, my dad told my grandparents. I fell asleep on the couch. I talked to my dad about it many years later, he said after that they had smudged. My grandparents and father believe in the old ways, and think maybe it was some bad medicine spirit, and prayed for protection. Whatever it was, I was the target. Predators always go for the youngest or oldest. I was RV camping with my Irish wolfhound, Marty last summer. We were in an old camping ground outside of Naples, Florida. Marty wanted out around 10 p.m. that night. Not long after I let him out I heard a loud yelping from the swamp. I immediately flooded the area with my handheld spotlight, calling out to Marty. That's when I saw an unusual creature, with eyes that glowed brilliant orange. 
The creature was yellowish-brown, two half feet tall, bipedal, with several foot-long spines on the back. It was hunched over Marty, sucking blood out of, of his neck. It screeched at me, and ran off. Marty's neck had two fang marks as he laid lifeless. I heard another scream nearby, so I picked up Marty's body and headed home to the 24-hour vet. The vet said he had never seen this before, and confirmed that Marty had been drained of blood. He mentioned El Chupacabras, from his home in Puerto Rico, but said he had never seen one and thought his was a myth. I am 26 years old and have worked on a sea scallop boat since I have been 18 years old. During the course of my time on the water this question brought two stories to my attention. These are not in order of importance and I apologize for any grammar mistakes in the future. First story happened a couple years ago when we were working off the coast of Long Island I believe. It was a little rough but nothing out of the ordinary. It was dark and about 3 in the morning and everything was going smooth. On a scallop boat you are required to shuck and do other things in between toes that happen every hour. It's basically a floating factory. I was in a shack back in the stern of the vessel standing in the back that can be closed up while you shuck. All of sudden the wind starts to pick up and the lightning starts closer than you want when you are the tallest object. It's roaring and raining so hard that the rain was hitting me in the back of the shack. The boat starts listing to port and it sounds more violent than you can imagine. The door was tied off so I rushed to shut the door and use all my strength to shut it. I am by myself in here and I have been never so scared when the boat started listing over even harder. This lasted for about 10 minutes. Then it was over. Looked outside and all the gear was everywhere and a bucket that was deep inside a tote up in the front of the deck was taken out of and laying on deck. The position and protection where this was only led my other co-workers and I on watch to believe we indeed were just hit by a water spout. The second story was when the boat was fishing offshore sometime during March. It was shitty and cold out and you could barely stand up. We were fishing with our starboard facing the waves because we were on a tow and producing. As time goes by it's going to sound weird but you develop an intuition of when you are going to get hit by a wave when picking up scallops on deck. When working in the pile you try to keep your scuppers closed it's rough because you don't want to make it harder on yourself or get your gloves wet. It all becomes very instinctual so this night it starts to get rougher progressively. Another guy and myself are working on the starboard side and doing fine he was back aft and I was forward. I was directly next to the hatch for the fish hold. We are picking then we feel this wave coming. Like I said earlier you can tell the power somehow and guess what you're going to do. This is the east coast so the continental shelf drop off isn't that substantial as the west so typically rouge waves are few and far between. So my co-worker and I don't even try to duck or cover in anticipation. I just lift my gloves a little and assume this will be nothing special. Then the rest of it comes. We didn't have a chance. The power was forceful and slammed myself against the hatch thankfully because or else I think I would have been washed over the port side in full gear. The other guy was washed into the other rail and by the time I got up I could see the fear in his eyes of what just happened to him. I was more confused due to the impact of the violent wave and the cold water. 
Got changed and worked for another couple hours before my watch was over. That was a shit night. My name is Don Montgomery, Jr. My father was stationed at our AF Bentwaters from 1977 to 1982. At the time of this event we were living in Suffolk on the Black's farm near Rendlesham Forest. This house is huge. We had some very interesting events happen in the home. Once we moved in, my brother started talking to an invisible friend and he had full-on conversations. Shortly after that I started hearing noises coming down the driveway which used to be a cobbled way, their hoofs beating on the stones. But no horses were there. Then an old lady in white. Imagine the softest sheets you've ever felt. Now imagine them getting even softer over time. That's what you'll feel with and Branch's organic cotton sheets. In a recent customer survey, 96% replied that and Branch sheets get softer with every wash. Start getting your best night's sleep in these sheets that get softer and softer for years to come. Try their sheets with a 30-night guarantee. Plus, get 15% off your first order at bowlandbranch.com. Code BUTTERY. Exclusions apply. See site for details. Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com style for free shipping and 365-day returns. Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com style for free shipping and 365-day returns. Dress and bonnet, would walk across the walled yard. Then an elderly man in a wheelchair would will himself down the hall and up the stairs which could only be accessed via a staircase. Our room was upstairs and our room looked out over the Walden yard. The home had entirely too many rooms for us to heat so we would frequently close off a lot of the main rooms and just heat the main area. I had tried telling my parents that I had been seeing people that were not there and they thought I was making this up. We were all sitting in the living room watching something on the television when something pushed down the mechanism to push down the heavy oak door. With a very loud thunk, the door opened and closed. My family were flabbergasted as we all heard walking through the living room. Then the other door on the other side of the room, the one that lead to the stairs was opened and then shut. My parents looked at each and then looked at me. Me being 16 at the time, I looked them and I said, told you. I never saw my brother's friend but I knew he had to exist. The whole time we lived there we always constantly had something happening in the paranormal. It was later, in 1981, that I found a picture of the man in the wheelchair in a class photo in an old garage. I showed it to my parents and I told them, this is the man that I had been seeing. He was considerably younger but I will never forget that face. 
I still see spirits to this day. They have become a part of my life and I have learned to accept it. Now Rendlesham Forest, December 23, 1980. I was sitting on the back porch of the Black's farm. It was dark and cold. I was cleaning rabbits on the back porch that my father had shot. I was finishing up with the rabbit when a white ball of light coming from the south of the house moved north to the back field behind the house. It is completely silent. I watched it with awe, not quite believing what I was seeing. It hovered over the far field and looked to be about the size of a Mini Cooper. It cast a glow on the wet mud in the field and then seemed to land in the field. It was simply beautiful. It looked like it was pulsing. I eventually snapped out of it. I went to get my dad. I was very excited. When we came back out, it was gone. Like it had blinked out of existence. My father did not think I saw what I knew I had seen. He told me it was probably a helicopter and not a big deal. I knew what I had seen. The next day I walked out to where I thought it landed. I went back to my house got my dad and told him he needed to come out and see what I found. We got out there and there were three circular impressions there on the ground equally spaced out and my original set of footprints going to and from the site, very muddy and then our prints going back to the site where the orb had landed. My father was surprised enough that he called the base and reported what he had found and I had seen. No one ever came to my knowledge to check the site. Then a couple of days later the famous Rendlesham Forest event occurred at our AF Benchwaters Woodbridge. So as a kid I lived about 100 miles away from the nearest town at a house without electricity, running water, the works in the Colorado Rockies. This place was in the bum f middle of nowhere and we frequently did see all sorts of wild animals. Elk deer, coyotes and such. Our property and a bunch of other neighbors' property bordered national forest roads, so to keep people off of our road we had a gate about a mile and half from our house that we drove through before we were home. This time of year we are the only people up there, all the other homes are hunting cabins long empty by this late in the winter. Now, this was not the type of gate that you could drive around if you forgot your key, there were tons of trees all around it with barbed wire and ditches and such so anyone wanting for off-road around it would have to basically build a new road around this gate. Well, one night my mom, brother, sister and I pull up to the gate and we cannot find the key, it's gone. So one of us has to hike to the house to get a spare then walk back. Now it's recently snowed in January, and it is totally dark. Like can't see your hand in front of your face dark and with the new snow you can't hear anything too. There are a few clouds in the sky on and off to let some starlight through every once in a while, but it's dark and of course there isn't a flashlight either. So off I go. First you walk through about 200 meters of trees then it opens up into a huge meadow, which then narrows back down again to trees for another 200 meters then opens up again into another huge meadow, which on the other side of is our house. So I set out and everything seems fine, I'm just irritated that I have to do this. I'm like 15-16 years old at this time and a little angsty teen that is peeved at an oldest kid chore, totally not thinking about my surroundings, but then I got that feeling of being watched as soon as I'm halfway through the first meadow. 
That deep creepy dread that something is right behind you that you can't see which was made a thousand times worse by the light and lack of being able to hear. My instinct was run, but I knew that if there was something that was just going to provoke it. So I kept going and then stopped to try and listen and I heard a crunch crunch just out of sight echo my footsteps. Holy shit, I was freaking the F out. This time I walk a little faster and I know there is something behind me, and it's probably a cat, so I just keep walking right into the second bunch of trees before it opens up into the meadow our house is in and I can feel the pressure, at that point we were mind melded predator and prey and I could feel the breath on my shoes. So second clearing comes up and I know what the plan is, and I book it. Thankfully I'm familiar with what to do and I scream mother F. At the top of my lungs and I hear our dogs bark at the other side of the meadow and I know they know what's up. I stop and get big with my coat and I can hear it but still not see it, just outside my vision and I hear the dogs hauling us towards me when they get there they continue right past me into the woods. I hauled ass to the house got the key and the 12 gauge and got in the 2955 tractor we used for work to head back to the gate. On my way back I saw the tracks, it had cut right across the first part of the meadow and was on me, from what I could guess that pit of my stomach feeling hit right when it started across the meadow. Thankfully I got back to the gate and let the rest of my family in and told them the whole story. And while that's happening both the dogs show up, unhurt but obviously in the same state as me, not ready for a calm night of sleep. To this day I never go out into the woods without a weapon. This occurred in Oakland, California where my wife's parents live. There have been several shootings in the area, more than normal, and the funeral home on International Drive has been getting a lot of business. A few weeks ago, my in-laws were driving through Oakland at around 2 a.m. in the morning. My mother-in-law works as a live and hospice nurse and only has a day or so off. She was coming back at 2 a.m. after having the evening off. While they were driving to her job, they saw a woman standing on the corner next to the funeral home with a dress on and very well dressed. They saw her at the corner while they were stopped at the intersection, and noticed that the woman smiled at them. They also noticed that her eyes were black. My in-laws were frightened and drove away as fast as they could. My father-in-law drops off my mother-in-law at her work and wonders if that ghost woman he saw at the corner will be there on the way back, he had to go through that same intersection. On his way back, she was still there at the corner, and this time he was stuck at the light at the intersection. She actually waved to him and he noticed again she had black eyes. It seemed like she was trying to get him to come over and pick her up. Naturally when the light turned green, he sped out of that intersection to get home. No one seems to know who she is, but they all seem to agree that her funeral was probably through the funeral home there on that street. As to why she was on that street between 2 a.m. and 3 a.m., I think she was looking for victims. I spent 28 years in the US Navy, almost all on aircraft carriers. I've witnessed some awesome things at sea, bioluminescence, for one. But the creepiest was probably one of my deployments to the Persian Gulf, early 2000s. We sailed through acres and acres of dead sheep. Apparently, 
one of the big ships that hauls sheep up to the Emirates, from Australia, had a big die-off, and they simply dumped all the carcasses over the side. There had to be thousands of them. Aside from that, another time in the Gulf we frequently saw huge balls of sea snakes. It is creepy as f. I was fishing in a pond about 15 miles from town. It was late in the evening and it was brewing up a rainstorm. I was with my cousin who was a couple of years younger than I. I was under tree near the lake and I kept seeing something shiny across the lake. If I tried very hard I could cast across the pond. I was aware of the lightning and thunder. It was a rough storm with plenty of lightning. I noticed that the shiny spots were large and an equal distance apart. I could see the beings better when the lightning made everything bright. I kept looking for a while until I realized what they were. There were more than I saw I am sure because they were all walking a path across from me. It is rather bushy on that side except for a trail that comes over the hill. We had parked about half mile from the lake because of a fence. It was easier to walk than go around. After I noticed they were real I called out to my cousin who had walked off a little ways. They kept looking at me then at him. Their eyes still shining. Their eyes were big and round and had slight oriental slant to them. They were short and skinny, long arms, big heads, but not long heads but large. I called to my cousin and told him what I was looking at. He came running and we picked up what we could and ran up to the truck. When we got to the truck we looked back and could see more of them but we were too scared to look for long. We rushed off and decided not to tell anyone. Now that I am older I worry about my grandkids. This is a private lake and is used by few people. I have no pics. We did not carry cell phones at the time. Since they have been here for years I don't think they are destructive to us but they could be. My old man served in the Royal Navy and Merchant Navy. He told me about these access spaces that ran through the ship, one ran the full length of the bulk carrier he was on in a storm and some poor sod had to do down there to do something. They open it up and there's lights all along it. As the ship flexed in the storm they could see the lights at the end disappear and reappear. Wasn't exactly a rush of volunteers to go down there. He always said that St. Elmo's fire could be quite eerie when you saw it on another ship. Worst he ever told me about was when they got a mayday call from another ship that was on fire, they were the nearest and responded but were a good 48 hours away. The radios died before they got there, no one survived. I've lived in Lake Charles, born and raised, but in 2004, I moved to Alaska to be a youth pastor for a church. I was living in Seward and was invited to come and speak at a church in Fairbanks. About a nine-hour drive. I'm from the South. Not used to. I got there in January, this was in February. I took out on this trip by myself and had been given tips, this is where you want to stop, this is where you don't want to stop, gas is real expensive here. Things like that. So I got out just north of Anchorage. North of Wasilla, up in that part of the country. There are people who have said that you stop and pick up hitchhikers. It's just kind of a thing. 
You don't really do it in Louisiana. Here it's life and death. If you see somebody on the road, you stop. So I saw a man walking north on the road and I pulled over. He got in the truck and I remember, just remember distinctly, he had a bit of a body odor smell. He smelled like a campfire. He was unshaven. His name, he told me, was Alex. He spoke with a Russian accent and he said he was a mountain climber and he said his favorite place on earth was the top of Mount Everest and that he was in Alaska to climb Mount McKinley. So he was on his way to Denali Park. He rode with me in the car for about two and a half hours, asking me about why I was there. About my calling and feel on my life, those types of things, with me. He gave me tips about driving on the ice, told me not to do things that would have caused error. We came to a town called Trapper Creek, I don't know if you are familiar with it. I was not going to get gas there. It was one of the places I was told not to get gas there because the prices will kill you there. He said, you'll want to stop here because the weather is too bad. Denali is going to be closed, and so I said, okay. He had been in the car for two and a half hours, we talked extensively about Everest and his plan to see the top of Mount McKinley. Well, we stopped. I got out, started fueling the car. He grabbed his small backpack that he had, and walked into. I saw him walk into the gas station, the little junction station, had a little cafe in it. He walked through the doors. When I finished filling up, I went in to use the restroom, pay and grab a bite. I asked the clerk, I said, where's the man that just walked in and she looked at me and said, you're the only one that has been here for hours. I said, no, a man just walked through these doors. We spent 20 minutes walking around the back of the building. We followed the tracks, the two sets of tracks back to the truck. He was nowhere to be found. There was icy wetness where he had been sitting in the truck. The truck still smelled like him so at that point, I've chalked it up too, was it a ghost or was it an angel? I don't know what. I wouldn't have had enough gas. And when I got to Denali that gas station was indeed closed. Well, I've spent many years on the ocean, sailed from SF, CA to Sydney, Australia on a 30 feet sailboat. I've seen plenty of amazing and intense things, like storms, lightning hitting the water, supermassive pods of dolphins, giant whales surfacing next to and following the boat in the middle of the night, etc., but by far, the strangest, most perplexing thing I've seen is what I call the chessboard. Calm seas, middle of the night, I'm on watch looking out on the water, and I start to notice some flashing happening around the boat. Now, the water was very bioluminescent, and he was used to certain amount of organic type shapes, trails, etc., which can be spooky enough when a huge fish or mammal swims towards your tiny boat and swims under at the last second. Then turns around and does it again, but this was totally different. Different color of light, much wider and brighter. And the shapes were very square, geometrical. Seemed to be very near the surface. Anyhow, started off with three or four squares, each square was I'd say, 12 by 12. Then more and more appeared, forming into a chessboard type pattern. The chessboard stretched out as far as I could see in the night. 
They'd all come on for a while, then alternate lit squares. Change into random patterns, like they were communicating. This went on for 10 minutes, then everything went dark at the same time. I would so love to know what that was. In 1999 I was working at a state park in Pennsylvania and got to know the back areas of it pretty well, the areas most tourists do not get to see. Approximately one mile from the park on a long all-dirt road was a large clearing in the woods which was cleared for power lines and gas well use. Once you got to that spot you would have to walk over a long hill until you came to an old abandoned trail. If you followed this trial it would take you deep into the forest. Once day I followed it and found that it led to an old dilapidated cabin, not on the park cabin records, and it looked like it hadn't been used for many decades. Even though it was daylight I still got this creepy feeling like I shouldn't be there and worse. That something was watching every move I made. A few weeks later, while I was off duty, two of my friends and myself were just out driving around enjoying the summer night and since I knew all the back roads I was taking them on kind of a tour. Note, none of these roads are off-limits or secrets so I wasn't breaking any rules. Other than that mysterious cabin the park hasn't any secrets. About 11 pm I came to that familiar clearing and I mentioned something about the old cabin. Being a brave soul I talked them into letting me show them the cabin, so I grabbed my flashlight and we took off down the hill and onto the path that led to the cabin. I took the lead and we walked halfway when all of a sudden my light flashed on something on the right side of the path. Almost immediately I stopped and said, did you just see that to which they responded, see what? As I panned the light back to the right side of the road I said, that. There standing by a tree was a creature only seen in sci-fi movies. It had a grayish olive color skin and very thin in its extremities. The calves and forearm muscles were very large as well was the chest. The face was the strangest thing since it had the typical alien gray head shape but there was no mouth. It had a nose that was long and thin but not longer than its chin. The eyes had a reddish gleam in the light but not the size of most reported aliens. Very small even by human standard. I hate to make this reference for fear of questioning my sanity but my best description was like what the goons looked like in the Popeye cartoon. It leaning oddly against the tree, like if you were leaning on an armchair by only one arm. To make another TV show reference but like the Fonz would lean on the jukebox on happy days. Minus the legs being crossed. Immediately everyone wanted to leave but as we turned my flashlight went out. My friends told me to quit messing with them and turn the light back on to which I informed them that I wasn't messing with them and to keep moving now that I was at the back of the group. I frantically continued to beat on my flashlight trying to get it to work again. As soon as it came back on I immediately swiveled back around to shine it behind us. The creature had moved up significantly and now was on the left side. We hurried to the clearing and once we got back up the hill and to the main dirt road things got worse. Out of woods we had just come through was this high-pitched blood-curdling screeching noise which, after it started, others started to answer back from the other side of the clearing. The fact that I was a park ranger, had been in the woods all my life and had my degree from Penn State in wildlife management means I've heard a lot of noises in the wild, but I've never heard that sound before. 
I know it wasn't any kind of owl or bobcat, bear, bird, porcupine. You get the drift. Once I told my dad about the encounter he told me it could been the chupacabras, which I had never heard of before and as far as aliens go, never believed in it until recently. Months went by without incident. Other than not being able to shake that I'm watching you feeling. I was to the point of feeling like I was being stalked. One night I went to get something from my truck when I looked into the woods and saw those reddish glowing eyes staring at me in the shadows. I immediately ran into the house and grabbed my biggest knife, I, am not a gun guy, to which my dad asked me what I was doing. I told him I was tired of feeling stalked and was going to face this thing. He told me he was coming with me, but all along I knew he never truly believed me or my encounter. When we got outside he nonchalantly asked, okay, where did you see this thing? And I pointed to the spot to which he directed his flashlight. Much to his disbelief there it was and as soon as the light hit it tore off deep into the woods. My dad, an ex-marine who served proudly during Vietnam, yelled at me to get back into the house with fear. Fear in his voice. To this day it still creeps me out telling this encounter and my hands shake even while typing while recalling it all. I am now in my 30s with a wife and kids but even now, when I go outside at night, I still feel watched to the point that when I get a real strong feeling my wife won't let me leave the house without her. Just as a side note. For the first five years of our relationship she too would catch sight of this creature, but mostly as it was going into the shadows. As a further note if anyone is questioning it, there were no drugs or alcohol or any other substance involved during this or any other encounter I have had. Former submarine Sanarman here. No windows, so it falls outside the creepy things I've seen requisite. More of a creepy thing we heard. I was stationed on the west coast. Whenever we would transit near a particular Californian city, within a specific area, we would hear over the headphones the something that started off sounding like a woman screaming and ended sounding like bullfrogs on a hot summer night. None of the sonar techs up through our chief knew what to make of it. We chalked it up to just being a mere frog and carried on. Did some sailing in the past with my family in the Caribbean, and one night we anchored by Norman Island, the island that is allegedly Treasure Island from the Robert Louis Stevenson tale. The typical anchoring area in deeper water was pretty full by that point so we ended up going to a less sheltered area closer to the beach, but it wasn't a big deal as it was fairly calm. Anyway, as night fell, the water became luminescent. There were these jellyfish that would light themselves from inside in what looked like a glowing green clover thousands of them. I'd never seen or heard of anything like it, and it was only happening near the shore where we were it made us happy the deeper anchorage was full as we never would have seen it. They died down after about a half hour when it was getting truly dark out, but before bed I dipped my foot in the water and the jellyfish nearest me started all lighting up again. One giant nope and my foot was out of the water before they got any ideas. Come to think of it, that was also the night of the 2003 US invasion of Iraq, so we spent it listening to the BBC report over the shortwave radio in the dark, watching these luminescent jellyfish all around us. 
What a surreal evening. I worked offshore for five years as an ROV pilot, the robots that go underwater, I have seen some odd things. Worked on a job where the field we were working on has barrels at bottom of ocean. We were told we couldn't go near these with the robot. Apparently these were dumped by the US government during Cold War era. Who knows what was in those barrels I've seen all kinds of rare creatures including exclusive six-gill sharks. One of the cooler things I saw was an eel eating another eel the exact same size. Imagine a snake underwater eating another snake exact same size. That was pretty cool cause it looked like the eel detached its jaw like a snake and everything. Also has seen giant bluefin tuna. Tuna in general can be anywhere from surface to a couple thousand feet down. The ability to dive like that still amazes me. I worked in the oil spill in the Gulf. To see oil just pour out like that is something we have all seen but to be there and realize that's just below you a mile below is something else. For me it was crazy to see that many robots underwater at same time as you have usually max 4, 2 vessels, but rarely. It was chaotic as heck. The vessels out there were so close we could almost just have conversations with people by shouting, which is very rare. One of the crazy things I won't forget is two vessels were flaring off, literally just burning off oil, and I could feel the heat from their vessel on the one I was. I have whole stories I could talk about that really, but to be part of something that was that huge even though it wasn't a good thing in our history, I can still say I was part of it and be proud to stop the spill. In January 1965, a group of musicians, including Jimi Hendrix, driving back to Manhattan, were stranded in a blizzard and had gotten stuck in a heavy drift that reached the hood of their vehicle. It was bitter cold. Unexpectedly, the road ahead of them suddenly lit up, as a bright phosphorescent object, cone-shaped, like a capsule, landed in the snow about 100 feet up ahead. It stood on a tripod landing gear. Before any of the stunned occupants of the vehicle could move, a door opened on the side of the craft and an entity stepped out. He stood eight feet tall, his skin was yellowish, and instead of eyes, the creature had slits. His forehead came to a point, and his head ran straight to his chest, leaving the impression that he had no neck. The being proceeded to float to the ground and glided towards the trapped occupants of the van. The snow melted in the wake of the creature. His body seemed to generate tremendous heat, so much so that as it came across a small rise, the snow disappeared around in all directions. In a matter of what seemed like seconds, the being came over to the right-hand side of the van, where Hendrix sat, and looked right through the window. According to other witnesses at the scene the creature seemed to be communicating telepathically with Hendrix. Immediately the interior of their vehicle began to heat up. The heat coming from the being evaporated the snow enough to free their imprisoned van. The being glided behind the van and the snowdrift by now had completely vanished. Turning the ignition, the driver gunned the engine and drove away at high speed. As they looked back, they could see the road filling in with snow again. The object was at the same instant lifting off like a rocket from a launching pad.
When a freak storm lashed the Gulf of Lyon and the inland villages were battered by winds of ferocious force, I was awakened by an insistent tapping on the window of my downstairs bedroom. At first, I dismissed it as the wind wrapping a twig onto the glass, but finally, I got up and went to the door with a lantern. A strange sight met my eyes. In the doorway stood a boy, aged about ten, wrapped in a piece of sacking. His hair was long and yellow, quite unlike that of the local boys, and his face almost luminously pale. He appeared to have no clothes apart from the sack, and as he stretched out his arms towards the light, I noticed that there were only three fingers on each of his long slender hands. I stood there uncertain of what to do until my wife's voice roused me into action. She had come from the bedroom, taken one look at the strange tableau, and told me to bring the child into the house. She roused the fire in the kitchen, placed the shivering boy before it, and covered him with a blanket. He slept the night on a mattress in front of the fire. In the morning, my wife and I found him some clothes belonging to our oldest son, but it was soon apparent that he didn't know how to put them on. At first, I took him for some dumb waif, a simpleton, but it soon became apparent that he could speak, albeit in a language we had never heard before. Even the most commonplace things appeared to astonish him. He was bewildered by a cup containing warm milk and had to be shown how to drink from it. A knife and fork were complete mysteries to him. When a farm cat strolled through the door, the boy backed away, apparently in fright. My wife and I, totally bemused by our uninvited guest, told the story to the village priest, Father René Mouville, a retired Lyons University professor who had entered the priesthood at the age of 50. Once Father Mouville met the boy, he knew there was no obvious solution. The child was quite unlike any human he had seen before. Even the construction of his body seemed exceptional, his hips were extremely narrow, and his ribcage almost an inverted V-shape, quite the opposite of a normal chest structure. Just looking at those delicate, three-fingered hands made the priest feel a strange sense of foreboding. The next day, he took the child back to his house to be cared for by his housekeeper. He soon found that the boy had a fantastic intelligence. Unable to communicate by any form of language, Father Mouville began by drawing simple diagrams of everyday objects, which received no response. Then one day, he wrote down a series of numbers in the form of clustered dots. Immediately, the boy took the paper and pencil and began writing dots at high speed. When he passed back the paper, Father Mouville found that he had worked out the cube root and square roots of all the groups of numbers. As the weeks passed, my confidence grew. I began to master simple words and to go out with Father Mouville on his rounds. I began to be accepted in the village as almost ordinary instead of a curiosity. Basic physical phenomena fascinated me. I would sit for hours by moving water or watching birds in flight in the movement of clouds. It was as though I had never seen such things before. Then, after Christmas 1900, I became ill. At first, the symptoms seemed to be those of a heavy cold, and after a few weeks, I seemed to have recovered. But by February, I was sick again, this time with a high fever and a deathly pallor. A doctor was sent for and confessed himself mystified. My heart was the slowest he had ever heard, almost half the speed of a normal human. I should be taken to a hospital, 
but in my condition, such a journey could well have been fatal. So, the boy who came from nowhere became weaker, and on the second week of March, I died and was buried under an ash tree in the graveyard of St. Myand.